Hey, good morning. Uh, we've got Bill Mahler's on the on our Zoom call here. Um, and Brooke, and Brooke. And Brooke, Brooke and, Brooke and Bill. Uh, it's great to have you here. Again, I was just saying a few minutes ago how excited I was and thankful I am to Brooke and Bill and to Jack and Hannah Rosenberg for creating the Bitcoin uh, and Open Blockchain Meetup Group in Chicago back in 2016. I attended my first uh, Bitcoin meeting back then when I was learning about it. And uh, I'm very grateful that Brooke acted like the uh, the Boy Scout mom, like the troop mom, where she just made everybody feel welcome and inviting. And it was a great a great perspective and a great place to be. So, uh, Bill, I just wanted to touch base with you because there's been a lot of frustration on Twitter um, with the news of the Bitcoin ETF saying that uh, there's a lot of hate on the fact that it's a, a Bitcoin futures contract. It's a derivatives. We're making all the arbitrageurs and hedge fund managers, regulators all rich. The, the ETF should be um, a, a cash settlement, a spot product. And you had made a reply on Twitter uh, to Raul Powell from Real Vision. And I quote, pundits do not like future ETF yet. BTC is up approximately 7% since the ETF news. Market action versus pundit predictions. Those disagreements usually resolve in favor of the market. I'll be glad to explain further on any upcoming podcast, spaces, et cetera. So I wanted to reach out to you because you and I both have a history from the exchanges, from the Board of Trade, from the Chicago Board Options Exchange. And I wanted to just, you know, thought it would be kind of fun to get two OG trader perspectives on Bitcoin futures and where the space is. Because I think, I think for me and you, at least it was for me, being in the trading pits, being on the floor and seeing how settlement and trades and clearing all happened. When we, when I learned what, how Bitcoin, Bitcoin worked and it was like settlement and trade and value all in a simultaneously beautifully constructed thing, um, I, immediately, I immediately figured out like how awesome this is. So Bill, you know, just take a few minutes if you could to you know, give me a little background, um, you know, some historical background, you know, both you and Brooke on, on where you're at, how you got started. And well, let's just take a few minutes with that. Oh, well, I mean, I started ever the same way everybody started. Um, I was a runner back in the pre, um, you know, electronic order entry days. It was very, there were a lot of entry-level salaries, phone clerks, runners, trade checkers, um, overnight desk. You pretty much have to sit a couple of guys there just for barely a few orders, right? Um, so, um, yeah, I started as a runner in the green room in 1977. And my, but my first real job where I wasn't, you know, just a messenger boy was an arbitrage clerk in the foreign currencies at CME. This was pre-Euro, so I was I was arbitraging between um, Deutschmark, Swiss franc. Um, my boss was in the D-Mark Swiss pit in front of me, and I was on the phones with the Chase, and you know, with on New York and Chicago with the, with the cash on. The, um, and as soon as spot and futures diverged by three ticks, I'm not kidding. When people want to talk about how we all get rich on arbitrage, right. um, <laughs> that market, a minimum tick was $12.50, right? So three ticks wide was, you know, call it $40. That was, that was enough for us to block that spread in and, you know, and carry it. And so that's how I, uh, that's how I got started. And it really is. And I, that's why I ended up, you know, as a math major, there was no such thing as a futures industry major. I'm, it probably is now, but, um, you know, my boss was, he goes, just keep your mind sharp. He, he was a math major from Columbia. He goes, just go study math because this is what this entails, you know, juggling numbers around things like calendar spreads, yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah. but no, I just kind of grew up with it. 
Yeah, I remember I started as a runner for Shearson in the soybean pit, and I was walking past the corn pit with, a, with an order, and I got hit in the head by a cigar uh, because smoking was still permitted on the training floor back then. And it was uh, Stu, I can't remember his name, Stu something, he was a broker in the corn pit, just flicked his, his cigar out, uh, and it hit me in the head back in those days. So. Uh, no, that my was dad really... was, they, everybody smoked. You couldn't see the boards by the end of the day. But um, <laughs> my dad said it was, it was a really tough call. But he goes, people would be, go like this and you burn the guy next to you. <laughs> you get a cigarette butt. Right. <laughs> but, you know. It was a magnificent trading pit, though. And the trading floor, looking back on it, was, you know, down LaSalle Street was just amazing. Um, so why don't you tell me how you guys got introduced to Bitcoin? I mean, how did you first hear about it? Um, Oh, that's, um, I was reading, uh, you know, I was retired I, out of the markets, but you know, it's still always been a hobby and a curiosity. So I try to keep in touch. And one of the financial blogs I read was, um, was Mike Krieger's was Liberty Blitz. Um, he is, he is a lot of his writing is politics, which doesn't concern me that much, but he does have a trading desk background. So when he writes on financial matters, I would always, or I always respected that. And he wrote a series of articles um, with the slant was like, I know, I know what you're thinking, Bitcoin, right? Silk Road, something dodgy. Um, is it going to get hacked or what? You know, no, that's Mt. Gox that got hacked. And Krieger did a really good job of breaking it down and explaining it to a, a non-coder, you know, right. um, a non-coder like me. Um, and now yeah, I give him a lot of credit. And that was back in 2013. Uh, you recall it was April 2013 when the Cyprus a financial crisis occurred right. and Mike and a lot of people were realizing that this Bitcoin could be a flight from uh, capital controls and oppressive, um, you know. I mean, that, that can't be overstated. I know if you look at the history, people say, you know, the problems of the monetary union and bank solvency or whatever. No, they just took 30% of their deposits. Overnight. We were like, you can do that? <laughs> I didn't know that with no recourse, they just haircutted it. Um, yeah. And yeah, well then I needed an escape hatch and it was really in real time watching Bitcoin evolve a, a use case, right? It, that wasn't Silk Road, right? That was pretty much the only use case or the was first it, one. Was evading capital controls. Was, was evading the cap, right? Mm -hmm. Evading restrictions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember the uh, remember the Cyprus event. You know, my closest friend, a former, uh, he's now retired, corn futures trader. Um, uh, he was Greek, and he had he had family left in Greece and in that uh, the Cyprus area, and it was devastating to lose that kind of money. I mean, he had some family members literally dumpster diving for food because they had nothing. I mean, ATM withdrawals were like ten dollars a month or fifty euros a month or something ridiculously low where you couldn't. Uh, survive on. So yeah, the disruption to people's lives when the hierarchical company comes in or the, um, you know, the government comes in and takes it is just, it's a terrible thing. Um, so why don't we, why don't we just talk really, you know, let's hop over to the Bitcoin ETF then. So uh, I made some notes to my, myself because I always have to stop and think about the difference between backwardization and contango, which is some of the frustration, I think, by some of the people on Twitter. But, you know, what do you think affects the time structure, right? the term structure in Bitcoin were, um, or in any agricultural options, whether it's corn, soybeans, metals, you know, like one month may be trading higher or lower than the front month contract. So contango is bad because if every single month in the future is higher in price, there's this negative rolling yield as ETFs begin to roll from you know, uh, September futures to November or December futures and on and on. 
Um, and it's good when it's lower, right? When it looks like a down escalator, because in every month as you're reestablishing the ETF, the positions of the futures that are based on the ETF, you get things a little bit cheaper, you get like a discount. But like, what do you think uh, as an old OG, OG trade, like what will affect, if anything, the term structure of, oh, I love it. The term structure of Bitcoin futures. Like why, why is everybody sure, hitting on up. this? I know that, Al, come on, this is a setup. The term structure of a financial, that's a, that's a cost to carry. That reflects, it does not ever reflect. Um, a, a premium for a deferred contract does not reflect strong demand at the deferred end. The, the calendar spreads in a financial market are at all times a cost to carry relationship, right? They can't be otherwise. If it were, if, if a huge amount of demand came in for, you know, December 22 delivery of Bitcoin was trading at a 10% premium over spot Bitcoin. That's an easy matter to close that spread, right? Borrow as much money as you can, buy spot, sell deferred. As long as you can borrow it for less than 10%, that's free money. Sure. And so for that reason, it would never get to 10%. As a matter of fact, as it ever gets a few dollars outside of, I'm going to say the prime rate, I think most people that spread is probably very close to prime since it's, if the, if the creditor knows what you're doing with the loan, he knows he's got no exposure to Bitcoin, right? It's a calendar spread. His only exposure is, right? The only exposure on that spread is where Fed hikes interest rates or something that might widen, but it's not gonna, you don't have any exposure to the underlying. That's a very safe spread. And that's why it will always stay very close to the cost of capital. Okay, interesting. So you don't think that maybe a Bitcoin halving event or any kind of regulatory announcement might affect that term structure? Because I looked at this, I went to the CME group last night, and that structure of a Bitcoin is pretty flat. I mean, there's just, there's no steepness in my opinion. So I don't know what everybody's all complaining about it. I, I didn't see this even as a, as a deal. Well, I mean, I can do it if you want. I mean, just take the DS 21, DS 22 spread, mm -hmm. whatever the premium DS 22 is trading at, divide that into the nearby into DS 21. Mm -hmm. And that's going to tell you how much the capital cost for the people trading that spread, right? Okay. I mean, that, that's the cost. I imagine it's going to be right around three and a half, four percent, right? Where isn't it? What's prime? What's prime rate? Three and a quarter, three and a half. I don't know. That sounds about right. I, yeah. So that spread is going to be a tick or two from prime. Okay. Because I mean, it, like I said, it, there is no exposure to the underlying. There's, that's a delta neutral spread. So the only thing that that spread is that you're trading in that spread is the cost of capital. You're not trading Bitcoin, right? You're trading the cost of carry. Sure. It's a carry market. Carry and the, the good news is you're like, oh, now he's now what's carry trade? You know, that's insurance, um, that's storage, all right? You don't have to store Bitcoins and you really don't have to insure them. So that really will reflect the cost of money for cost of money. That's right. right. Excellent. Great insight. Um, so you had mentioned in your reply to Raul that um, the futures-based products are really good for proving price discovery. And generally, prices... Because I know these things are, are hard on people. But um, if you... if What I'm saying, if Bitcoin gets more expensive the farther you go out, because there's a cost to maintain, you know, to carrying that trade, a market where like T-bonds that yields 8%, that's higher than the cost of financing. And so we would expect 
the carry to go the other way. We would expect the nearby to be at a premium to the deferred, and it is. So if that helps when you're trying to like get, do a calculator and figure out, you know, because it, it is intuitively makes sense that further out months being at a premium to nearby might be a reflection that there's some demand coming next year, right? Uh -huh. um, but then if you look at T-bonds, what, what market is that? There's nothing directional that that structure is telling you either. There's really nothing directional in, in calendar spreads. They right. are strictly carrying charge markets. Okay. Yeah, I do remember when the third year was trading at 8%, and it was a long, long, long time ago. I had dark hair back then. You, you probably had some here. <laughs> um, so, do you, so that's great. So do you feel that... Um, so I, I know where you're coming from. It's, it's just, you know, people are just complaining, I think, just for no reason. And, and they're very suspicious. And, and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying they don't have a right to be suspicious of some of the bigger um, institutions. But, you know, you and I, I think, feel more comfortable with how the exchanges in the floors work and how futures markets work. And, like, I'm, I'm kind of okay with this. Like, don't get me wrong. But um, do you agree with Michael Saylor then uh, from MicroStrategies that there's really nothing bad for Bitcoin? He did a great interview, and I don't remember <laughs> who it was with. But good news, bad news, regulation, no regulation, haters, lovers, it doesn't right. matter. Everything sure. is good for Bitcoin. You Everything, agree with is good for Bitcoin. Everything is good it's for Bitcoin. So and if it isn't, and if I if I can't prevail on points A, B, and C, my 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 takeaway, my TLDR always on this issue is, and it has been since we started clearing um seeing you know Bitcoin futures, whatever, three, four years ago, it's going to happen anyways. Yeah. You're, you're not going to bluff a trillion dollar asset that's on its way to a $10 trillion dollar asset past the financial powers that be. They're going to notice. And as long as they're going to involve themselves and create products like, you know, hedging products like futures and risk management products and investment products like ETF, as long as it's going to happen anyways, you really do want to root for Chicago. But Chicago, there is a lot of overlap in the Bitcoin ethos, like, we, we're going to grassroots this project. We don't need Goldman Sachs involved, right? Right, um, and that is a lot of that same attitude is is shared by uh, Chicago futures industry. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I it's been it, the, go ahead. Sorry, Bill, but um, my Bill has always been really good about explaining uh, the sort of different ethos of Wall Street and the Chicago exchanges, and the Chicago exchanges have built up this sort of culture that is in not opposition to wall street but it's like we do it better here and and we don't we don't no bullshit allowed kind of thing I you know, think but, I here comes wall street i'm like guys um wall street has nothing to do with the business yeah like it is uh, in chicago that it's kind of the opposite if wall street doesn't want us to do something. That's that's all the incentive we need to give it a try. Anyway. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a contrarian. No, LaSalle Street is not Wall Street. And um, number one and number two, as long as it's as long as this project is gonna merge with the existing financial, it may as well happen in Chicago. That's our best bet for protecting. Honestly, we, we deserve it. We deserve it. I mean, we've got a great community here: the <laughs> traders, risk managers, everything. Like. You know, you can you can arbitrage uh, S and P five hundred with soybeans or orange <laughs> juice with uh, sugar. I mean, there was just nothing that we couldn't figure out of putting together. And and this but is also, like this. You tell me, I mean, I'm not in the industry anymore, but you tell me. I, um, from what I see, I think Sammy has done their homework on this. this. Isn't a flavor of the month. No, let's just throw it against the wall. See if anybody trades it. I think they've really done their homework on this asset. Oh, I, I'm very impressed with the innovation, the mercantile, you know, uh, 
has done. I mean, they they first came out with the Bitcoin reference rate in 2016, right about the right. time I met Bitcoin. They roll out the uh, five Bitcoin uh, per contract futures, then the one tenth micro. Um, no, I'm I'm very impressed, and I know that again, I'm more of a CBOE guy, the options exchange, you know, next door, and so I was thrilled to hear that the Chicago Stock Exchange slash uh, futures exchange came out with a, a Bitcoin product, but I think they kind of mothballed that temporarily. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I'm, I, I mean, been an option trader. I can't wait for a Bitcoin ETF where I can trade, you know, calls, puts. Um, I mean, that's going to be really, really exciting. Um, what surprised me why that hasn't happened yet? Because it's a perfect. I mean, hail mary call options. You're talking about something, right? That really can go 10x, and that's going to be interesting pricing on you know, out-of-money call options. Absolutely. I'm for sure. That, I mean, that's going to be a great market. It's going to be huge, right? I, I, I totally agree with you. So I'm, I'm there. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you think is going to happen then if Bitcoin should go through another hard fork? How do you think the mercantile is going to respond to that with their futures contracts? Or uh, it just depends on, like the, the investors will probably never get the extra token, right? I mean, they'll just roll it somehow, I'm guessing. Like, how will they, how do you think they'll deal with that? No, I saw that. I saw that on... Your notes, thanks for preparing me because my answer is I have no idea, <laughs> no idea how that's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, when the underlying forks, how forward pricing or options pricing is going to work, I have no idea how. The, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm trusting uh, that, that the exchanges are on top of this because right. I do not know. Right. Usually, what we did when we run the trading floors, we had these black shoal models and Someone knew and we didn't, and you could see it reflected on our screen. So we would just tilt our, you know, <laughs> bring the call down a little bit, raise the put a little bit to make it fit because option modeling and Black Shoals, Whaley Quad, all that kind of stuff, really interesting. But like you said, price is truth. Price is what matters. And we couldn't be so stubborn as to say, this is my model and I'm sticking right. to it. We would always kind of tweak a little bit and that's really important. Um, so Bitcoin, was trading $4,300 a token, you know, during the COVID lows, which just blows me away because <laughs> the COVID thing seemed like yesterday. And yeah. here we are at 61,000, we traded like 62,500 today. Um, so I know, and, and so Raul was talking about, and people are talking about the disparity in GBTC, right? The Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust and how it traded at a 30% premium in the old days. And now it's trading at a discount of about 15 or 16%. So his biggest concern was that the ETF and futures like GBTC will trade at a premium in a bull market and trade at a discount in a bear market. And that doesn't really show in the history. The history shows whether we had a bull or a bear market with GBTC and Bitcoin, either it went to a 12% premium or 30% premium back to a 12% premium. And here Bitcoin rallied from 4,300 to 62,000. Yeah. And it had been GBTC had been discount from, 5% to 15, 16, 18%. And it's still trading at a discount. So I don't think the history proves what Raul is saying. And I just was wondering if you had any kind of uh, input about, you know, the, the premium or discount uh, changes either in spot versus futures or Bitcoin versus GBTC or the new Bitcoin ETF. Like any, any thoughts there? Is it going to be a, a death to investors, the retail investor? No, I mean, spot futures, like I said, that's a carry trade. I'm strong on that. That is not going to deviate outside of the cost of capital of people trading that spread. The, the premium or discount of GBTC, 
I have no idea. I mean, 30% and it's going to convert. I mean, it's convertible to actual Bitcoin anyways. Yeah. Isn't it? I do not, I don't know who's asleep at the wheel on that um, or what or that would, that would indicate to me that there's something like we don't know. And I don't want, but you know, like we, you could see it. You know, why is Mount Gox Bitcoins a hundred dollars higher than the rest of the world? Well, because it's easier to withdraw and they're having banking problems. Well, there's something up, right? Yeah. When they, when you see free money disparities, like 30% premiums mm-hmm. on- Or discounts. Or discounts on yeah. arbitrageable, on yeah. interchangeable products. I do not know. Yeah. I don't know that one. Yeah, I would say that I also don't know, but I also, I believe that, you know, the Grayscale Investment Trust is kind of structured like a closed-end fund. So whether it's, you know, you know fixed income closed-end funds or emerging market closed-end funds, it kind of does depend on that emotional perspective of investors. Sometimes they'll bid these things way over net asset value, and then sometimes they want to sell them. So I, I like the GBTC products because it's the only way as a Series 65 investment advisor, I can really do that for my clients. I can do that in their IRAs and 401ks, and I can advise them on their cash holdings, right? On how to how to get a wallet and how to secure their, you know, their seed phrase and things like that. But so there still is very few products for investment advisors to use. So I am kind of looking forward to the Bitcoin ETF because it will track the spot more than say the grayscale products that I still love. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, so this is something interesting. Uh, I did a, a quick study last night, and I I I have it here on my Excel spreadsheet that. I went to the Mercantile Group. Their open interest for their Bitcoin futures is 11,000 contracts, which represents 55,400 Bitcoin, which represents three and a half trillion of notional value. That blew me away. And what also blew me away is that the E-mini futures contract on the S&P 500 in March has 26,000 open interest versus Bitcoin's 11,000. Like, Yes, the front month December has like two and a half million open interest, but March S&P 500 E-minis only has double the open interest is Bitcoin, which I'm like, what? How is this possible? I mean, like I said, I've been retired for a while, but I think E-mini stock indexes might be one of the largest, most liquid contracts in the world, right? And the fact that we've got half that open interest already is, I mean, it's a good product. Way to go. Super exciting. Super exciting. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, re- I'm really excited to be a part of this. And I'm, I like the conversation going back. Um, so is there anything else that you want to talk about? You know, any kind of innovation that you see coming down? And, and um, you know, kudos to Jack. I mean, everybody's talking about him as the favorite child. I mean, everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be Jack. And again, you know, kudos and mad props to you guys for, um, uh, for coding an awesome guy because he's just, <laughs> he's, he's just amazing. Uh, I love watching him on, in some condo with like no shoes in the background or whatever it was, this this vacant, almost like fight club style. It's not vacant. <laughs> it's he can't possibly fill that room. It's a lot. Someday the story of where he lives will come out. Okay. <laughs> um, but right now, the mystique of him being in an empty women's closet has, is just so great because he he and his company are kind of memeing their way into changing the world. Right. I love it. So. The empty women's closet is definitely part of part of his uh, mimetics. <laughs> no, no, I think it's great. I think it's great. Um, and so, is there anything else? So, if there's nothing else you want to bring up, I mean, I just oh, wanted to, you know me. I'm gonna. I'll, you ask me again. I'll say the same thing over and over again. Just please keep an open mind. I know there's the tendency to here come some big financial institutions to muck it up, um, but CME's done their homework on this, and I really do think they share a lot. Yeah. 
of the same mindset um, for this product. And the other thing, it's going to happen anyways, guys. No right. institutions is going to approach this asset without decent risk management tools or decent forward pricing tools, right? Or exactly. Decent things. And um, you may as well, as long as it's going to happen anyways, just be grateful you ain't play trading of, of the Mount Gox ETF, right? You're trading right. a CME, uh, you know, an ETF based on a CME product is, I think, should be welcomed by Bitcoiners. Yeah, I did. A, I did a, again last night. I did a quick, uh, quick search, and there's our, there's 2,436 exchange traded funds uh, listed, and 70 of them are ETN, which is an exchange traded note. And I posted this morning on Twitter that, like, thank God it's not an ETN, which is more like, uh, it's a the it's based on the credit the credit worthiness of like Barclays or um, Invesco or Goldman Sachs or BlackRock, right? So the exchange traded note is a little bit different. And that it seeks to um, modify, it, it seeks to follow a particular index. So it could have been worse. The Bitcoin ETF could actually be an ETN, which you know has uh, counterparty risk, which is why we don't want that. Don't want um, and at least the mercantile product, the futures has you know the clearing corp behind it. And uh, I'm not going to say it's too big to fail, but it's kind of too big to fail once it gets inside the mercantile system, right? The the CME group. So you I'm know, kind of we used to get that question all the time: Is, is there SIPC? Are my funds insured? And eventually I just threw in the towel and my reps would start going, yeah, yeah, it's insured. It's insured by the clearing mechanism. Right. If we all go under, yeah, then I guess your funds aren't secure. Right. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a wonderful a method of really kind of self-insurance yeah. to, um, to just ensures everybody's solvency. No, this is good. Nothing, nothing's bad for Bitcoin. Brooke, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had a couple of thoughts. One is that I saw something on Twitter and I don't I don't, I'm not going to pull out the exact figure, but it was something like there's $30 trillion worth of investment money on in people's normal normie accounts. Okay. That has never been able to have exposure to Bitcoin. So the thought that my mom can open up her Ameritrade account or E-Trade or Fidelity or whatever now and get exposure to Bitcoin, whether it's through a Bitcoin futures-based cash settled contract or a spot contract, she, she doesn't care. I don't right. care. Um, but you're suddenly ex allowing anybody to get exposure to Bitcoin. How could this be a bad thing? Another thing, you know, everything's right. good for Bitcoin. Um, and that's one of your, you, Bill's been saying this right. forever. It's like all these investment managers who can't get exposure for their clients and now they can, now there's a tool. And so all of this FUD from the Bitcoin side that, Oh, you know, here comes Wall Street futures. You know what futures are? That's how that it's all going to go in the hands of, into the hands of hedge funds. I just don't think that's correct. Yeah. And I, you know, he's I, I I'm actually well. Here I put it this way: like I have a small. I'm not bullish on gold, but I just as a part of you know a non-correlation portfolio, I put a small amount of my retirement funds into a, a gold ETF. If I had to get my exposure to gold the way we used to get our exposure to Bitcoin. Buy it, break down 20 words, secure right. it, keep it safe, don't let it get hacked. Um, I would not be long gold. I'm not that right. bullish, but because right. there's an ETF, there's an easy way I can access some exposure to gold just through my E-Trade account. Exactly. And I think there's a lot, there's a big market for people the same way. I don't want right. to, I don't want to monkey around with securing my Bitcoin or having it hacked off. Treasures, ledgers, safe deposit yeah. boxes. Same thing. Oh, yeah. You're burying steel backups in your backyard. No. No, no, my mom's not going to do that. Toe yeah. in the water. Yeah, just click on here. And then once you buy a little of it, even yeah. if it's through your, you know, an ETF and your E-Trade account, 
you'll be a Bitcoiner pretty soon, right? right? Because you buy that ETF, someone's going to have to buy the Bitcoin future and someone's then in turn, in, in exchange, going to buy Bitcoin cash, right? There's going to be this huge arbitrage between Bitcoin futures, Bitcoin ETF, Bitcoin cash. Uh, and that's what makes the world go around. And that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, my dad is 88 and he owns GBTC in his, <laughs> his account. And my mom was like, oh, no, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. And so it took me years to get my dad to buy 100 shares, right, of GBTC. But he owns a little bit. And for him, it was the philosophical uh, abyss that he had across saying that, you know, I'm going to trust my son and not my wife, right, in, in this one $2,000 investment. So for me, it was a huge win, although it didn't represent a big dollar value. Um, well, man, well, listen. Huge win. <laughs> So thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, it's so great seeing you again. I, I really miss you guys, and uh, I hope I can impose on you again. You know, if we if something else happens that you know we can we can hit you up for a, a quick video right. call and get your perspective. I really appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely, it's great to see you, Bill. We do we do miss our Chicago days. Oh no, this is the fun part, isn't it? This is just to watch this market evolve and to see you know the CME products come out and. I think they've been they've done a great job so far. It, it is. It's it's a fun to have a front row seat for this. Mm -hmm. I only have one regret, and that is I wish I was 20 years younger because I used to quote options on, uh, you know, as an upstairs market maker. I want to be the first one to quote. Right. I want to hit that send button on Bitcoin ETF options, like the first one. I want to have that in my my. Uh, I have no idea what the SKU is going to look like. I have no idea how to price it. I do not want to be on the front line. I have an idea. I have an idea. I think it's going to look a little bit like a commodity, like gold SKU, where it kind of goes from the lower left to the upper right because we're more afraid of the upside than the downside. And, um, and that's what I think. And but I think it is if, an asset market. So yeah. and it does crash occasionally. So I, I do not know what, yeah. what that's going to look like. Yeah, I'm going to take my risk and say I, I would rather err to the side of selling my downside puts too cheap in Bitcoin than my upside calls too cheap in Bitcoin. So I'm going to, I'm going to skew my market that way. And not that it's not going to be double wide. It'll be double wide, but um, that's it'll be worth I think it. When, well, I think people don't understand. So I always say um, you get the price of anything high enough, we'll find more of it. You get the yeah. price of wheat high enough, I'll grow it in my backyard. You cannot find more. Bitcoin and no. so how that prices yeah. on out of money upside calls. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see how much. Yeah. Absolutely. There's really no such thing as supply demand economics with Bitcoin. I mean, it's With all demand economics. It's supply all demand. Is, that's supply. Everybody knows what supply is. Yeah, <laughs> got, it's that's gone. Like just it's yeah. so not even in the calculation anymore. So cool. All right, guys. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to our next interview. Peace. Uh, and we'll see you around. Okay, thanks, Bill. Take yeah. care. Bye bye. Thanks, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. The information is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. And answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities, forms of payment, cryptocurrencies, options, or strategies mentioned. It is not intended to be a substitute for specific individual 
individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine what is suitable for you, consult a professional advisor before implementing any information presented to discuss profit, loss, and risk. Investment advisory services are offered through Seneca Capital Management LLC, a state-registered investment advisor. The firm and investment advisor representatives of Seneca Capital Management only conduct business where they are properly registered. Registration with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training.